sent them a telegram that said, jokes on you, stop. I just heard that I got the Newberry, stop. LOL, stop. We are talking about Island of the Blue Dolphins yeah. with our friend Lauren Arnsman from the Digital Services Department. Mm-hmm. Amanda, what is your favorite thing about the Digital Services Department? I use Libby, which is the Overdrive app, um, and I do a ton of audiobooks. I usually listen to, no joke, somewhere between 50 and 100 audiobooks a year. So wow. if we didn't have Libby, I don't think I could work here or be a patron in Troy. Sorry, I'd have to move. I don't know if this is going to change the way you feel about me, but I love Hoopla the best because Hoopla has, has, okay. So for those of you who don't know, Libby and Hoopla are our two pillars on which our ebook offerings stand. You get ebooks for free. You get e-audiobooks for free. You get movies and music. Sometimes you have to put holds on them. That's what makes them different from the other audiobook services you may actually pay for. Mm -hmm. Which I don't pay for audiobook services. Do you? Never, no, never, no, because you can get a million of them. I can for get free. them from the library. Yeah, and I still have CD players like in my car, and I use my DVD player for CDs. So if it's not mm. available on Hoopla or Libby, I will actually get it on audio CD if I'm going on a road trip. Old really? school. Mm-hmm. Little book. I like the possibility of a car accident while I change discs <laughs> in, a, little... in a book I'm listening to. It makes me feel a little James Bond when I travel. Oh. I'm just kidding. I'm a safe driver. Oh, that's good. But I did like it, though. I like the idea of adding a little more excitement and mm-hmm. danger to your drive. A little danger. Danger's my middle name. I learn something new about you every time. It's actually Renee. Oh. These people are very loud. Hang These on. people are chitty-chatting right outside the door. So this is what happens at the public library is we're just so popular. We're, we're just overrun with people all the We time. are. So we have all of our ebook library stuff. We have Lauren Arnsman to thank for that, mm-hmm. who is our head of digital services. Thank you, Lauren. She's been buying all of those collections for us. So thank you, Lauren. And thank you for being on the podcast today while we talk about Island of the Blue Dolphins. Caca. That was my seagull sound for Ca-caw. the show. Caca. Caca. That's the wind at the beach. I was being on wild the island. dogs. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. All right. I'm with the show. Today we are talking about Island of the Blue Dolphins. Lauren, do you want to tell us a little bit about what you liked about this? Well, so I really like sea creatures and I really like the oceans. Mm -hmm. That's the thing that drew me to this book when I was a kid, I'm sure. And then I really liked all, reading it now, I really liked, and then, I really liked reading all the sea imagery, her befriending that wolf and kind of making it her pet. And then the otter situation was pretty great. So just all of the, it wasn't so much the survivalist aspect of it for me, but it was more the living alone on an island, surrounded by all this water, and seeing the different sea creatures, and just having access to the water, I think, that I liked. Yeah, we should probably say, just a quick recap for people who haven't read this book, it's about a native girl who lives on the Channel Islands. I keep wanting to say the Canary Islands. Different, different, different set of islands. It's a there. different set Very of islands. Different. I want you to think about the Channel Islands off the coast of Southern California. Mm-hmm. And she lives with her small tribe. And one day her tribe, after being sort of bullied by Russian and Alaskan sea otter hunters, 
they get on a boat and they travel to the mainland and by a set of circumstances, I don't know how many spoilers I should give, but she's left behind on the island and the story follows her sort of surviving on her own. She's completely alone. So she's eating abalone and she's making a skirt and she's hunting. <laughs> Did I miss anything? She's befriending animals. Yep. It's like a island little house on the prairie. Yeah. Adventure. Same time period, 1800s. Yeah, yeah, sure. That's totally a good analysis. But without Pa playing the fiddle. Yep. Too. Less, less banjo, um, less horses. <laughs> you have a point there. There was something different about those ravenous island dogs versus your friendly neighborhood horse and yep. buggy. Right. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't a Jack the Dog situation, but it kind of was. Mm-hmm. Oh, Jack. No Nellie also. Nellie Olson. <laughs> anyway. We need to circle back to that yeah. book at some point. <laughs> well, it does bring up the sort of survival lit kid books that were really popular. Mm-hmm. I have a hard time figuring out when children's books were published. Yeah. Because when I was a kid, they were published the second before I read them. And then they were handed to me and my reading them brought them into real existence. Mm-hmm. And then I had no idea when anything was written. That's No, that's exactly the same, which is why when I looked at the copyright date for this book, it blew me away because I had no idea. What? It was, 1960? Yeah, right? Like, I had no idea it was oh. that old. I, I thought... I read this in, you know, 1989 or whatever. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so it must have been published in 1987 or like maybe like maybe two years before that. Mm -hmm. But I I had no idea it was so old. And I also don't remember it taking place off the coast of California. Yeah. I don't remember. They don't tell you that in the book, do they? I got that because I started researching the book afterwards and I read the author's note. They mentioned... Santa Barbara. Uh, yeah. So that couldn't That's have been true. that far, I think. Um, but I, for some reason, and I think it's very similar to Julie of the Wolves. And so for some reason, I think I was thinking that they both kind of took place in a similar area. Mm. But then also that could have been because of the Aleuts and like, yes. you know, the Russian ships and stuff. Right. Yeah. So Julia the Wolves was my, my childhood favorite book for sure. And I think it was a lot of what you're describing, Lauren. It was the like befriending the animals. And honestly, I just like, and I still to this day, love stories of women on their own, like Mm -hmm. that's like solitary existence. I think I, I read Island of the Blue Dolphins too when I was in school. I don't remember anything about it except that I was terrified of mispronouncing abalone during the read-aloud because they made us do the read-aloud <laughs> and kids would laugh at you if you said abalone. And I was mm. like, I gotta get this right. So that's the only thing I remembered about it entirely. I mean, not to jump in on you, but I feel like growing up in the Midwest, you should get a pass for abalone since yeah. that's not something that's native. Well, yes. As long as you can say Mackinac correctly. <laughs> yeah, right. And Fago. And You're Lake okay Orion. here. Yeah. In Orion, yeah. So, but I think I clung on to Julia the Wolves because when I was outside playing by myself, which I often was, I could be, I had never been to the ocean, so I could not picture like the sea otters and the island and, but I, and I didn't grow up in the tundra either, but I could picture like snow and I could get there when I was playing. I was pretend Julia the Wolves outside. Did you have any Manda survival books that you liked when you were a kid? Um, so I didn't read Julie of the Wolves until I was in grad school. Okay. And I actually didn't read Island of the Blue Dolphins until two days ago. I don't know how I missed these at my library. I literally read through the bookshelves. And so it could be that they were both checked out. Uh-huh. And I, I kept going. I didn't go back. Hatchet was my favorite as a kid because mm. same thing, survival stories. I was the youngest. I 
the older kids didn't want to play with me, so I wound up in the woods a lot playing by myself, mm-hmm. lighting fires. So I was a little bit of a pyro when I was a kid. Mm, sure. Okay. And it's amazing I didn't burn down the whole of Rose Township. Um, <laughs> don't, don't do Hard that. Left. If you're a child and yeah. you're listening to this, fire is not okay for children. Um, but Hatchet was great because, same thing, It's he gets stuck out in the woods, his plane crashes, the pilot's dead, it's just him, it's survival, and... It's isolation, but getting over your challenges. And I thought very creatively written. I actually want to reread it, but I'm always scared to reread books that I really, really loved as a kid. Yes. Mm-hmm. So um, that's something I'm working on with my therapist to get right. past. But <laughs> until at some point I need to do it. I've been reading some other Gary Paulson books and I'm like, they're so good still. Yeah. That hmm. I think I'm ready to revisit Hatchet. So that might be a later episode for us. What do you think it is about survival books that kids like so much? Hmm. I think probably for the most part, we all live in, lived in houses with a family mm-hmm. and, you know, I had a younger sister, so there was never really any like alone time. Mm-hmm. And then it was also my, I was the kind of kid who only read books. And so they had to force me to go outside or they were like, you're going outside now for an hour. <laughs> Don't come back. Your skin something. is too pale. Right. You need some vitamin D. Right. <laughs> So I think it was something like, well, if I'm outside, maybe there's like an adventure to be had. Yeah. And I just, again, my grandma lived in Florida, which I cannot say is a reason that I gravitated towards sea creatures, but it certainly didn't hurt mm-hmm. any. Mm-hmm. So I think it was just something about being totally alone and kind of having to fend for yourself. And maybe you would have animal helpers. Mm-hmm. My parents also never let us have pets other than like a hamster when we were kids. <laughs> <laughs> So just the fact that, like, she was able to, you know, befriend this, like, wolf dog, even Mm -hmm. though originally it was an enemy of hers. Mm -hmm. And then the wolf dog, like, didn't leave Mm -hmm. and kind of kept the other dogs, the wolves, I guess, away. I don't know. It was interesting. When I was rereading it, that was the part that I started really getting into this story. Mm -hmm. Because I, when I was first reading it, at first of all, I was, like, baffled that this was ever published for kids mm-hmm. because it wouldn't I just don't think it would be now no I don't know it would be a teen or I don't book. even know if it would get published I, today no because it's too it's like I, I can't remember who I said this to but it was it's like Hemingway wrote a children's book like there's yeah. no emotional description yep. Yep. ever it's no. just very flat there's, affect yes. very little emotional. dialogue period yes it's just it like it's very Big plot points happen, emotional things. She sees her dad die. She sees her brother's dead body. I mean, very hardcore, tragic things happen. But the way that the emotions are described, it's like she sat near her brother's body and said, I think there's one sentence that's like, and I thought about him. And that Mm -hmm. was it. It gets more emotional towards the end. I did it, but with the dog. So... (laughs) And I think, I think that's kind of, yeah, like I think, I don't know, I've always really loved animals a lot. And so the idea that you could feel that kind of emotions for animals, whereas Mm -hmm. like people are a little more fact-based or Mm -hmm. it's a little more. It's like unconditional love from animals too. Yeah. 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 Once, once she broke it, I was like, that kind of felt sad to me. Yeah. Like breaking a wild thing. And clipping and which, the wings. Yeah, the part where she clips the wings yeah. on the birds. I was like, oh, can we not just yeah. let them? I kind of, I was like, that's a weird metaphor because, I mean, she's stuck on the island. Her wings, in theory, have been clipped. I thought it was interesting that she gets more emotion about the dog because it's like she's, that to me was like the height of isolation. Like her brother died. Yes. Very 
not emotionally responsive to that. But then as she's stuck there longer and longer and then the dog dies, it's like, oh, my God. I jokingly said to Olivia yesterday, we were talking about this book, and I was like, as an adult, I'm like, this book's a little bit of a Debbie Downer for me because it's one sad thing after the other. And I was like, oh, this is, don't read this in the wrong week. If you're going to read this week or read this book, read it when you're like in an emotionally fluffy place because if you're having an off week, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of sad stuff in this book. There's sad but. I found it a little bit refreshing that they didn't get into the emotions too yes. much. Like I've taken classes on writing children's books and sometimes the this is like a very popular thing to teach right now. Yeah. That when you express when you write about a character's emotion, you write about their like bodily reaction. So it's like they instead of saying they were ashamed, you would say their face got hot. And their shoulders slumped. And it's, that's mm. so belabored to me. Like, I think that's just bad advice. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's bad writing. That's my hot writing take. <laughs> but I thought it was so nice just to read sort of like the Hemingway thing where mm-hmm. if you, you know, you say it was a good day, it was a very good day. And that's all like you just repeat yeah. it. And that's the height of like emotional language. I feel like the mature adult step up book from this would be old man in the sea i was thinking about that while i was reading this just Mm -hmm. that you know Mm -hmm. very kind of i don't want to say even keeled throughout but even during like the emotional part with the fish and the shark and everything it's still very did your pulse go at all when you were writing this you know i can imagine this like battle (laughs) with the shark and i'm sure Hemi was just like drinking his whiskey and like oh this is great numbing (laughs) it yeah i mean his emotions and yet still you felt sad when you read it right Mm -hmm. amanda so it it was able to provoke emotion, even though the character's emotions weren't expressed really. Into, yeah. Not too deeply, but yeah. Yeah. You just had to kind of imagine it, which I think is refreshing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I he does agree. anger well, not to get off on a Hemingway thing. Like his character's anger in other books. Well, I was like, whoa, God, you should drink a little <laughs> less and be a little less angry. And <laughs> I think those two might go hand in hand, Hemingway. <laughs> Deep breaths, yoga practice, right. cut back on the old. We could do a whole thing about Hemingway. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Not today, folks. We're here Not to talk today. about a children's Let's focus. Book. Get back on track. Uh, there's a quote that I read. So I did a little bit of research, and there's a quote I wanted to share and wonder what you guys thought about it, okay. if I can find it. Okay, I'm going to read two quotes, I mm-hmm. guess. They're very different, so just pick the one you like the best. So there was one from Malcolm Usery. He was a critic, and he said, quote, The book is more than one of survival. It is the story of great courage, endurance, perseverance, ingenuity, and perhaps most important of all, it is a story of a woman surviving great loneliness and even a greater sense of isolation. And the other quote was a critic from the New York Herald Tribune said, quote, occasionally we rejoice to find a book not written to fulfill any need or with any audience in mind, but simply because the subject has seized the author's imagination and he had to write it. These are usually books that quietly take hold of us and make our lives richer for having read them, such as Island of the Blue Dolphins. I think both those quotes are a really good description. I do too. I'm trying to think of other books that are like quietly unassuming like that for kids. I'm trying to think, what's the one? I think it won a Newbery. It's, um, is it The Midwife's Apprentice? Like that's a topic I would never have thought to write a book about. Like a midwife, this girl training to be a midwife in medieval times. And the the main character I think is like somewhere between 10 and 13. Hmm. That's another one where it's like, I think that kind of surprised people when it won the Newbery because the topic, kids would be "Hmm." absorbed in this. But it's actually a really interesting read. love midwives. I don't agree with every Newbery choice, but that was one where I was like, heck yeah. By Karen Cushman, Midwife's yes. Apprentice. Yep. Yeah, that's interesting. Hmm. 
where it's it seems to stem more from the author's interest, interest in, in the a subject. subject yeah rather than trying to make money based off children's books it seems like that happens a lot now i don't know about in 1960 if children's books were a very lucrative market mm. yeah probably not mm. and that i know i would imagine anything that was for children just got published and when i said that earlier that i don't think that this book would get published now it's not because it's not good i just Mm -hmm. don't think this is what kids want to read now and i don't think i mean it's i don't think this is what would make money and now that children's lit is a huge yes i agree with like marketing machine i think that this very quiet very you know, full of perseverance and stuff kind of book. I don't, I just don't see kids gravitating toward it. Cause like, like you, Olivia, when I first started reading it, I was kind of like, why did I like this? Mm -hmm. It was just really factual and really kind of boring. And Mm -hmm. then when she got more into the befriending the dog and the otter stuff, and Mm -hmm. then like, you know, going out to sea and then coming back, then I was like, oh, this is what I liked about her. This is what I remember about it. Mm Um, I also didn't remember how long the book took, like time period wise, you know, because mm-hmm. I think when I was thinking about it, when we talked about doing this episode, I was like, oh, well, I remember, you know, she gets stranded on the island for some reason. I can't quite remember why. And I think she was there for two years, maybe. Mm-hmm. But no, it was like 20 or something. Mm-hmm. It turned out. Yeah. And I had. I did not remember that at all, mm-hmm. but also it didn't really, see, I mean, she did kind of mark the time as like, this was the second summer, yeah. but it wasn't as obvious when I was younger. I How think. old was she at the start of the book? I don't remember. Because when they pick her up, she's in her. I thought when they picked her up, she was like in her thirties, okay. late twenties, early thirties. I was trying to flip back and find where they said that. Cause I feel like they do mention her being older. Do you mean the real woman? No, I mean the no, actual like character the, in the book. Yeah. I don't know if they say. Do you have some facts about the real person? Yes. Because I brought some too. I assumed you were going to, but I was like, this is fascinating. It was, this is probably the most interesting research I've done on any of the books so far. It was super, I mean, as a kid, I'm sure I just forgot. I'm sure Mm -hmm. that my teachers taught me that this was based on a real person, though. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I didn't. So I didn't know that. So for our listeners, this book is fiction, but it's historical fiction. So it is actually based on some real events that happened in the 1800s off the coast of California. So I'll let you. Do you want to say what you, you can? No, you, can you go ahead. Research no, 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 you do it. Okay. <laughs> I would have liked it, though. I might add something if you don't have okay. it. But yeah, I found this super interesting today when I was reading about this. Okay, yeah. So it was um, based off a true story about a woman. that Her story was almost identical to the one in, in the Island of the Blue Dolphins. Mm-hmm. She was approximately 35 when she was left on the island. Um, her tribe had just been sort of pretty much decimated by... Um, hunters just like what happens in the book they were 300 strong and then they ended up with only 20 people left after this battle and so there was a franciscan monk who lived in a mission in santa barbara and he sent a boat um to go pick up the tribe ostensibly so that they could come back and live a more peaceful life i don't know if they managed to do that or not but that that was their and this is all research i pieced together by reading a lot of articles that stressed over and over that the story was told by the white people and Mm -hmm. her story was not told by her anyway so they went and picked up this tribe they brought them back she 
you know, it was bad weather, just like in the book. The boat had to leave. In real life, it was speculated that she left her baby behind, that she was she needed to find her child. And then there were many different stories about what happened to the babies. Um, but whatever happened, ultimately it died. So she lived there for her by herself for 20 years. They sent a boat back to get her, and it sunk. Hmm. And they didn't have another boat <laughs> that was big enough there to make the journey. There were a lot of boats journey. in the 1800s. There was a boat shortage, much like was today. A, the cost of wood was very high in the 1800s. It was a little inflation. Not enough moment. trees in California. Yeah. They were like, we can't use palm trees. They're not strong enough for boats. So we're going to have to send for some good old Georgia pine. And the Transcontinental Railroad hasn't been created yet, guys. Right. So she's stuck on the island. Sorry, friends. There was a, a line in the research that just like, winded me it and was there like there was no boats it was like there was no boats and then she was forgotten so they just Aww. forgot her out there so then Do you she, think she like waited and was kind of like looking at her not not their watch or her wrist being like where are, where are they going they, that was in the there were some bits of that in the book right yeah. she would like yeah. think about yeah she would think like oh, she was like the alu- how do you say it alutes al- I, I said al- alutes. alutes I don't know oh, just because I'm like going off of all over again. I feel read I'm just going off of like abalone <laughs> the Aleutian Islands yeah okay all right so alutes so, yeah I don't know alutes so yeah, there's something in the book where she's looking to see if they're going to come back and she has to be prepared for that. Yeah. To interrupt, but yeah. No, no, I think you're right. And she's like thinking about her family. So she lives there for 20 years God, and 20 people years. would go and like look for her and they would like find her footprints. But she they was good at hide and seek. She was good at hide and seek. But it's the island version of hide and seek. So the rules are a little different. <laughs> she was going to play 20 years. She didn't mind. She was going to hide. So they. Uh, finally, this, I, what's his name? George Nidiver. According to him, he found her just like happy as a clam, cooking seal in her little hut. I think you mean happy as an abalone. <laughs> <laughs> were they happy though? They were getting bashed by otters pretty they good. They weren't happy. <laughs> just like eating seal in her little whale hut, like wearing her cute dresses that she made for herself. And he was like, Apparently, she went back with him willingly, and they traveled back, and they tried to get the story out of her, but no one could understand her language. So who knows what happened to her tribe? And they would bring people who had traded with her tribe. They brought people whose language was similar. And they said it, it was sort of odd that no one could understand her, like maybe her understanding of language had eroded after being alone sure anyway so they could only understand four words that she said mm-hmm. which was hide sky man and body and then seven weeks after she got oh when she got back apparently she was happy as an abalone and she was just um she loved coffee and she was like really into the horses she thought the horses were really cool yeah and she would share like her songs and her traditional dance and she was like a sensation and people thought it was really cool Mm -hmm. but they couldn't get her story out of her because no one could understand her and then she got dysentery and died seven weeks really soon after she was rescued right Right, so they couldn't get her story Mm -hmm. so then they went back and got her stuff like to put in a museum like her skirt and the tools that she'd made and the things she brought back and then in the san francisco earthquake it was destroyed so (gasps) all of her Her skirt was sent to rome was it Mm -hmm. weird fact i found today i think it was sent because um one of the guys that rescued her i think on the california side was Uh a priest 
Yeah. So I think he kind of sent it like, hey, oh. look at the great work I'm doing converting people, probably. Here's a, here's a skirt. But, anyway, that was my long story about that. But No, that's really interesting. And I did. I actually read the author's note today, and he mentions like a few of these things. But, you know, one of the nice things I think about reading historical fiction as an adult, and even as a kid, I would kind of, you know, get to... I feel like it helps you dig into nonfiction a little bit more. Like you want to learn more about the real stuff, right? Yeah. And I actually looked up that guy, um, the one that found her. Mm -hmm. I can't pronounce Nivens. Niviter. Niviter. He actually did write a memoir or in a travel log about when he went around and he does talk about finding her. And I actually looked in Mel, Mm -hmm. which for our library users, if we don't have something, we can order it through um, Mel, which is Michigan e-library, and we can borrow it from another local library. Somebody owns it, but it's not a circulating copy. Oh, Because it's such an old book. It's probably at, I didn't even look, it's probably at a university. But um, yeah, I thought that was kind of interesting. There is still in existence somewhere in Michigan, a copy of his travel log about, which includes that. So So doesn't that kind of make the ending of the book a little, I think we should talk about the ending yes. too. Yeah. Spoiler alerts in case you're going to read it. Spoiler Is it a spoiler if the book was written in 1960? Shame on you for not having read it until <laughs> 2022, me. And if <laughs> somebody would have wanna... told me how it ended yesterday, yeah. I would have been like, well, shame on me. I've had my whole life to read this. Yeah, it's not really a plot driven novel, too. No, 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 no. Oh my God, you ruined it. Um, the <laughs> she becomes friends with wild animals. How dare you for right. telling me about that plot twist? Spoiler. I found it. So I did the research before I finished. I read half the book, then I did the research, then I read the rest of it. And I found, so it's complicated. You mm-hmm. know, we know it's like a white man. He's a white man, right? A white yeah, man writing sure. through yeah, the voice of a native definitely. woman. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and knowing that, so keeping that in mind is important. But after reading all of the accounts of these other people, you know, the people who quote unquote saved her, it was nice to be in her head, even if it was just, you know, even if it just encouraged me to think about like her being the person who's listening to this other language and thinking it was Mm -hmm. ridiculous. And she being the one who was like uncomfortable in the clothes that they were putting her in. What do you think, Lauren? Yeah, I guess it's interesting now hearing you tell like what it was based off of, because I did not realize it was based off a real person. I didn't I was really nervous to reread it because I thought it was going to be a little problematic, which I'm not saying it isn't. It definitely is a little bit, but it's not, mm-hmm. it's not as bad as I had expected. And my thought about the end is, and I, I guess kind of, it's in, it's interesting hearing the story because I just assumed that this was basically a fictionalized version of what this woman had told someone. Mm-hmm. So knowing that that's not the case and that they were never able to get her story out of her, and this yeah. is entirely made up, yeah. I don't know. Does it change the book for you? I mean, no, I don't think so. Um, I think it makes it a really interesting piece of literature, and I think, mm-hmm. Amanda, you're right about this is good a good stepping stone to nonfiction mm-hmm. and kind of maybe even, you know, learning about different people in the world and cultures and mm-hmm. things like that. And I think that's probably another reason why I liked it when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that answers your question, Olivia. Yeah, it does. <laughs> and it, it reminds me too, going back to the survival lit, there's so much science in those books. And I think yeah. partly why it's more palatable to us, even though there's sort of this identity clash between the author and the main character is it's, I think part of it is how outward facing it is. Like we're learning about how she survived. 
And apparently, I did a little research on our Biography Reference Center database on our website. Kitty, yeah. um, Look it up. I'll link it. <laughs> um, but <laughs> you can find information about Scott O'Dell. I've been paranoid I was going to say his name wrong for some reason. Like, it's the easiest. <laughs> Steve O'Flanagan. <laughs> The, author. <laughs> the last, the last podcast, I kept saying it wrong. So oh, like, get oh, it right. right. Scott O'Dell, um, he grew up in those islands. Um, okay, oh, so he probably had heard about this the woman. story. Yeah, yes, he heard the story. she was called the Lone Woman of San Nicolas. That was the island she was on, San Nicolas Island. Gives you chills. That's the, that's yeah. the, the white name for the island. I don't. I never yeah. actually did find what her people called it, but they said she was an. Nicoleno Native American. You know, growing up in Michigan and pretty much having only lived in Michigan, there's only a few Native American tribes, indigenous yeah. tribes that I'm familiar with. Mm-hmm. So hearing that tribe name is... I've never heard no, of it. No, it's like amazing. And now yeah. it's like, well, I should, that, that's a gap in my knowledge that mm-hmm. I should fill. And I thought it was interesting that one there was one sentence in his author's note that I was like, wait, what does that mean? Because he says, the future of San Nicolas is not clear. It is now a secret base of the United States Navy. Mm-hmm. Still is. If and you Google the lone woman of San Nicolas, there's actually, um, the National Park Service has a page I sent to oh, Olivia, great. which I think we're going to link with the podcast. Yeah. I sent you two. One of them is a park ranger is talking with school children about the book yeah and then the other one is actually about her a little bit more specifically but yeah it's actually a navy base and it's in the park system as well so they don't let people go to that specific island but they let people occasionally are allowed to go on certain other islands in the channel islands close by Mm -hmm. yeah um yeah i thought that was really interesting actually yeah their secret navy base not so secret if we know about it well and it's also another thing that this book did or the other effect that it had on me is like you know when you're a kid time and you know space and geography mm-hmm. is is sort of unfathomable to a certain extent yeah, sure. and now um it it would probably take not that long to get to this island from mm-hmm. santa barbara or wherever like an hour i don't know i mean i didn't look it up that's not based on any kind of fact but just the fact that like back <laughs> probably then, an hour in the, yeah, i don't know <laughs> roughly but in the 1800s i'm sure it took days because that's like what they had you know and just like someone told me the other day that um in detroit um you know henry ford and some other richer people that like Mm -hmm. were involved in detroit's history they would have summer homes like in the gross points and i was kind of like wow why would you have a summer home 20 minutes away and (laughs) like my friend was like when you're driving 30 miles an hour you're like we'll see you in three days yeah she was like Okay, but they didn't have cars or, like, roads back then, so it actually took, like, two hours to get from, you know, the city center (laughs) to, like, I don't know if at Henry Ford, I feel like that's the natural place it would be, but I feel like I saw it at one of the Smithsonian's. I'm probably wrong. It's probably Henry Ford, but... They did a display once on Henry Ford used to travel with Edison's family. They would vacation together and they actually had one of their old buggies before the cars and it was really like tricked out. It almost looked like a car. That sounds like a Henry Ford thing. And I'm like, now I'm kind of imagining them driving that to Gross Point. Right. We're going like 10 miles an hour. Right. In our like, yeah, 1800s version of an RV or something. You're like, this is fantastic. So for her to like, you know, wait for that long isn't unreasonable. And, you know, in my head as a kid, and when I started reading this, I was like, oh, you know, a few years, sure, makes Mm -hmm. sense. But it was much, much longer, but like she didn't, 
she didn't have the concept of time that like we yeah. have the concept of time of now. Yeah. And like, just like when she was the, in the true story, when she was found and even in this at the end, when she asks people, Hey, where, you know, where's my family or mm-hmm. where the, like, where's my people that I lived on the Island with? Yeah. And no one knew there was no way for them to know because right. so much time yeah. had passed. And if they didn't stay there, they could have gone wherever and moved to Nevada or something, you know, I mean, I don't know. It's just interesting to think about. Totally. It's it's interesting that you mentioned like the, the time aspect, because going back to what we were talking about earlier about why kids like these survival stories, something as reading them as an adult. And I don't know if I would have picked up on this as a kid, but certain books, like, I don't know, I don't remember Julie of the Wolves as much, but I know Hatchet, My Side of the Mountain. Oh yeah. Even reading this, it's like, it could be, it could have been set in the 1800s. Well, Hatchet, he's in a plane. So obviously, um, later but there's a timelessness to those stories where you're like when did this take place like did this take place like again if you were a kid and you didn't understand to look for the copyright hatchet could have taken place in the 1970s it could have taken place in 2022 and he just didn't happen to have a cell phone with him kids Mm -hmm. can convince themselves of a lot of things when they want to believe and play along with the story Mm -hmm. same with like my side of the mountain same with this i feel like i didn't realize this was supposed to be in the 1800s i don't think i I just thought it was like this random island that maybe wasn't discovered exactly. yet. Exactly. Like it's fiction. Yeah. It could be, you know, I'm I'm choosing to believe it's whatever because it's fiction. And then I flipped to the front of the book and they're like, oh, it takes place in the 1800s. And then I Googled this, this woman that it's based off of and it's like they rescued her people in 1835 and she stayed there from 1835 to 1853. I was yeah. like, holy cow, I didn't realize it was the 1800s. And it's not and even like was, late 1800s. I can't even sew like a button on my shirt and she was making bird skirts. Bird feather skirts. Like, I just want to focus on that. What are you even using on an island yeah. for that? Yeah. But I think that's why these are, like, the perfect, like, um, when you're a kid, imagination play stories. Because yeah. yeah. it's, you don't have to have anybody else with you. It's completely internal. And also this, like, external crafting things, pretending like you would know how to serve. Yeah. I definitely did that with Julia the Wolves. And, but there is a relationship, but it's that simple, like, animal relationship. Yep. There's not mm-hmm. that, like, having to navigate your parents' divorce kind of <laughs> you know, it's like, Wait yeah. a second. We haven't even talked about Rontu yet. Wasn't that the Rontu? Oh, I mean. Oh, it got real quiet. It was, it was just sad. R.I.P. Yeah. Inevitable, but. Yes. I like how, again, going back to, like, the lack of emotion stuff, when she is killing some of the wolves, and then she wounds Rontu, and she's like, you know what? I'm going to carry him home with me. I was just like, when <laughs> yeah. When did you make that decision to bring him to your whalebone house and take a wild animal and be like, I've wounded you, but we're going to become besties. Like, that is not where my mind went at all. I was like, this feels dangerous. Like, he's going to eat her, and the story's going to end here in the next, like, 100 pages. I don't know what it's That's filled safe. with. safe. Also, it just was like... You've spent so much time plotting Mm -hmm. to kill this animal, and now you're like, JK, BFFs. (laughs) That's all. They got matching tattoos. (laughs) They had those heart necklaces that said The half heart, best friends. Oh, yeah, that's all emotional stuff. So the emotion's there. It's just not believed half to death. And it does also show how lonely she was, even though she she never maybe said, I'm so lonely, I can't stand yeah. this anymore, which would have been insufferable to read a book like that. Just yeah. like a whinging. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Just uh, complaining. I have to say, going back to like the white older guy writing the story of a native person, and you know, obviously that doesn't happen 
as much nowadays, it still happens, but I think we're more cautious about who gets to tell whose stories and having representation. But I just wanted to say for it being a old dude writing a girl, it was refreshing to have a character yeah. that wasn't over overwhelmingly emotional. Yes. Yeah. I always was really ex- like exasper- exasperated, I'm trying to say three different words, exasperated as a kid when I read books and the girls were like, so over the top emotional because I was not like that as a kid. So it was nice that even though in moments I'm like, whoa, she's really like emotionally like blank. I thought that was kind of refreshing in this book. Yeah. To his credit too, there was a, his, so I read his biography, not his biography, an article in Biography Reference Center about him. And he had submitted the book to his agents and they both rejected it and said that he needed to change the main character to a boy. And he said, no. And they were like, well, fine, we're not publishing it. And he said, fine, I'll publish it myself. So then he went and he had a friend in Houghton Mifflin, which is good to have friends at Houghton Mifflin when you're a writer. And he was like, publish my book. And his friend was like, sweet. So they did. Just <laughs> <And then laughs> a joke verbatim. Yeah. It was a transcript from yeah. that conversation. A rare look yeah. into his and real life. And then he life. sent them a telegram <laughs> that said, joke's on you, stop. Yeah. I just heard that I got the Newberry, stop, <laughs> LOL, stop. And the publishers were like, what does LOL mean? Right. Ahead of his time, that guy. Yeah, I mean, it's tricky. I also wonder if it, the lack of emotion, I wonder if it makes it easier to be more imaginative about it, Mm -hmm. you know, because the character isn't telling you how they feel at all. And so then you are able to imagine what you might feel or how you might react to those situations. And it's interesting Amanda, that you liked Hatchet so much because mm-hmm. I did not like Hatchet at all, but I loved Love this book. book. And I, I don't, I can't say for sure if it's because Hatchet obviously involves a young boy. Yeah. And I went through a phase where I didn't like books with main characters that were girls. I was such a tomboy at one point. I was like, I don't want to read. I want to read books with boys as main characters. Weird. It was a couple of confusing years. Well, I mean, you certainly had a lot to choose from. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. It was the 80s, guys. There were just, it was, yeah, it was dripping it was, with male heroin yeah, books. Or girls that had cancer. Right? Oh, my oh God. God. Ballerinas <laughs> that had leukemia. That was a really big thing. And we're laughing because <laughs> it's true, <laughs> you guys. If you did not live through the 80s, and I feel like late 70s, very specific genre. It was, it, I was, anytime my, my All sister. All Lurleen McDaniel. Lurleen. What happened was, to you? My sister was a really easy bruiser. And I oh, read no. those books and I was like, she's got leukemia. Who do they I tell? Like little like, it was anxiety manual. They were. Yeah. I was constantly worried about that. And then, like, the AIDS crisis was starting. We oh, started sure. reading about that in school. And yeah. I was like, what is happening with the world? It got very real in, like, 87. Yes. Um, I'm just looking at Scott O'Dell, his other books, because I know he's written a ton, but I don't feel like any of them are as famous as this one. No. I have to say, that's part of the interesting thing about rereading these childhood books, is that as a kid, I went through so many hardcore hardcore phases like i wouldn't i would only read horse books so like (laughs) only read this book i'd only read julia the wolves over and over like and now rereading them i have a little bit more of an open mind but it was so maybe you'll like catch it if you reread it It, i i maybe (laughs) that was another read aloud one (laughs) that i had a lot of stress about i i think that's the other thing because we had to read hatchet in school and we definitely did not read island of blue dolphins in school and Mm -hmm. i was kind of just like Reading this, Island of the Blue Dolphins, um, Julie of the Wolves, other stuff, not for school or stuff that I'd get from the school library that my teachers were like, 
Mm. It has nothing yeah. to do with our stuff, and I don't so I remember be reading books in school. Like I remember um, reading a lot of where they had like the textbook, and it was condensed stories. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. I don't remember any of them ever being by famous people. Even in high school, I think I only read like um, oh, Great Gatsby, which I hate. And so, but it was like all condensed stories. So when people are like, I had to read that in school, I'm like, all my reading was on my own because I was like a voracious mm-hmm. reader. My mom mm-hmm. would take me to the library. Yeah. So like Hatchet, I just, I don't know if my aunt recommended that to me because she was a librarian or if I just found it naturally mm-hmm. as I was reading through the shelves. But it's so funny when I hear that because kids coming in Troy is very aggressive about what the teachers are asking the kids to read. And I think it's fantastic. But kids will come in and be like, oh, I have to get this, this, and this. And then, of course, they have the summer reading list that they have to come in and do. And um, But, man, I wish somebody would recommend these. My friend, actually, I was telling her about this podcast and how we were doing this book. And she and her son both just read Island of the Blue Dolphins like two oh, weeks wow. ago. And she's like, I was crying and all this. And she's like, my son didn't cry at all, but he really liked the book. And then I'm like, you know, reading and I finish. I'm like, maybe I'm emotionally stunted. I didn't cry either. I was <laughs> like, there are sad moments, but not yeah, I like, didn't cry either. not like bridge mm-hmm. to tear. I didn't Pithia, which oh my, my God. Heart out. Yeah. Just punched it over and over again. That's a crying. That's going to be, we're going to have to discuss that book at some point. Yeah. Oh that was, God. that was another one of my favorites. Cause it was kids outside yep, and that thanks. like out that, outdoor domain is like the only place you yes. get to call yeah. the shots yep. which is also really appealing to kids mm-hmm. i also loved that because i could be outside and then no one could and tell it me was like something sad about like the the end of innocence in that book and just mm-hmm. amanda do you have some read-alikes for us i do have some read-alikes um so we actually a lot of these already came up not a lot two of them i don't know i said a lot i only brought four read-alikes for our friends listening um i got the read-alikes from our um database novelist all you need to do to access it in the library is go through our um, e-resources page and if you're trying to access novelist or any of our other databases at home you do need your troy public library card you sign in once with your barcode um just showing that you are one of our wonderful taxpayers and patrons, and then you should be able to get started. Um, so I use the novelist for the younger kids, K through eight. Um, so some of the read-alikes, and the biggest theme that I saw in the titles is survival stories. So mm-hmm. we already talked about Julia the Wolves by Jean Craighead George. We talked about Hatchet by Gary Paulson. Um, Edge of Nowhere by John Smelcher. And A Girl Named Disaster by Nancy Farmer were the mm. top four choices. And I actually mm. am not familiar with the the second um, set. I've heard of Edge of Nowhere, but never read them. So now I'm kind of a little curious. Cool. I'll put those on our page. So people yeah, thank you. And do you have any books or anything that you'd recommend to our listeners? Um, for any age. Let's see. I just finished Mouth to Mouth by Antoine Wilson. Mm. That It's a little short guy and the book not the person um (laughs) and it it's good it's um the general plot is there's a guy who is waiting for a flight in an airport and he sees someone he went to college with and they sit down in an airport bar and the friend the old college acquaintance starts talking about what he's been up to and oh i love that are some twists and turns yeah i was gonna recommend it to you olivia because it's like right up your alley what's it called again mouth to mouth and it's fascinating i really liked it um what else i'm gonna get that one um i'm gonna start reading cloud cuckoo land but i have not read it yet Mm. so i cannot i mean i'm sure it's lovely because i liked i'll let you cannot see by Mm. anthony door so i'm super excited to read this one Mm. cool thank you so much yeah yeah this was fun all right bye
in the room. Yeah. He fades out on his top. Very nice moment. It was so fun. Thank you for listening to The Books We Loved, a podcast through the Troy Public Library. You can find more information about the books and library services we mentioned in the show on our website at troypl.org slash podcast. If you would like to suggest a topic for future discussion, please email us at podcast at troypl.org. Thank you for listening and happy reading.